This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon. Welcome to today's edition of On Target. Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain today, who is taking some well-deserved time off. And I'll be filling in for her a couple of times over the next couple of weeks while she's away. Uh, And she picked a great time to take some vacation time because it's just gorgeous. Another scorcher today here in the metro region uh, with some sweltering highs, to say the very least. I had the last couple of weeks off, and now she's off for two weeks. So we're kind of like two ships passing in the night with her taking some vacation time now. Um, But it's a gorgeous day outside, and it's a gorgeous day to get outside and maybe look at some of the nature that surrounds us here in this gorgeous province. And that's what exactly what we're going to be talking about on today's edition of the program because the Nature Conservancy of Canada uh, on Thursday will be launching its annual Backyard Bio Blitz. Now, what exactly is that? Well, we're going to learn about that uh, over the next hour or so. We have Piers Evans on the line. He's the Program Director for Newfoundland and Labrador, Nature Conservancy of Canada. He joins me now. Piers, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. Glad to be here. And thank you so much for taking some time to uh, join the program today. Now, this Backyard Bio Blitz, I guess, just to start off, what exactly is the Backyard Bio Blitz? So this is an annual initiative that uh, is into its third year now, uh, where we try to engage Canadians right across the country uh, in getting outside and just kind of, as you say, taking a closer look uh, at the nature that surrounds us in our backyards, on our way out to the cabin, on our way out to the shore, uh, wherever we happen to be going this coming long weekend. So. Uh, This is um, an initiative to collect some uh, citizen science data. Uh, We uh, are kind of, we we hold this big backyard bio blitz uh, on the iNaturalist app. That's a a smartphone app that you can just kind of download and install on your smartphone. Uh, And it's an application where you can, uh, uh, you can take, pictures of um, plants or animals or creepy crawlies or fungi or mushrooms that you see uh, whenever you're kind of out in the woods or in your own backyard. Um, And you can take a stab at what you think uh, the species is that you're looking at. Uh, Or you can just take your best guess and uh, let the community that's on iNaturalist, um, which ranges from you know, real experts and professionals uh, to hobbyists to, you know, newcomers and and, and newbies. Uh, And, you know, you can kind of crowdsource the answer to what it is you took the picture of. Uh, And I should also mention, you can also uh, take an audio recording. So if you can hear a a bird call that, you know, sounds really interesting, uh, but you can't quite place the bird. Sometimes they're you know, the, the small ones up in the trees can make an awful big noise, but it can be really hard to actually pin down where exactly that noise is coming from. You can also take an audio recording uh, and you can post that on iNaturalist. And so this is a way uh, to uh, for us to sort of expand our reach. Uh, we're constantly in need of more information. Uh, you know, us uh, in the conservation world, um, uh, we need more information, uh, you know, to base kind of management decisions and conservation decisions on. And so this is a way for the general public to, you know, take a pause, uh, really engage with nature uh, in and around their, you know, their homes or their cottages or, or cabins or wherever. 
uh, and in so doing, kind of making a, a small contribution uh, to science. So um, the BioBlitz runs from July 28th to August 1st, so this coming uh, long weekend, um, although, of course, in, here in St. John's, it, we don't have uh, the long weekend on the 1st. we got Regatta Day next week, but you can still participate, um, and you can learn more at natureconservancy.ca forward slash BBB. Now you mentioned this is the third year for the BioBlitz. Um, how did this all start? Where did this idea come from? Yeah, so there's actually a lot of organizations across the country that do um, these kinds of bio-blitzes, uh, and whether they happen sort of in person, uh, and we, we do this sometimes, say, when we secure uh, a new property for conservation, we'll hold a bio-blitz on that property, and it's kind of a smaller, more focused event where we might um, <clears throat> uh, bring out some uh, some of our partner organizations like Ducks Unlimited or Birds Canada or that, those kinds of, or even um, provincial wildlife staff, uh, as well as volunteers um, or interested members of the public. And, and we kind of do a, a big bio blitz on that property, that new property that we've just acquired. Uh, and it's a, it's a way to, uh, again, just kind of really dig down into like, what do we have here uh, and investigate, um, you know, uh, just try and see, you know, do we have any kind of uh, rare species or endangered species? Do we have any species of concern like uh, exotic or invasive species uh, that we need to kind of manage? Um, so it's it's really a way to kind of spread that uh, net of uh, of information gathering a little bit uh, broader. Um, and like I said, there are other bio blitzes that other organizations do um, right across the country. So we're kind of, you know, this is our weekend that we've uh, planted our, our little uh, NCC flag in, and we say, well, we're going to do one this uh, this weekend in the summer, uh, right across the country, and um, thankfully. You know, through the advent of uh, uh, apps like iNaturalist and, and some others that people might be familiar with, like eBird or, or those kinds of um, citizen science uh, species observations apps, um, we can really do that and coordinate this effort right across the country. And as you mentioned, people can do this from wherever really they are. You Like you said, they, uh, people could do this from their backyards. They don't necessarily have to be out for a hike to do this. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it's, you know, there's no such thing as bad data, right? So wh wherever you are, uh, you can just, um, you know, I guess so long as you have um, reasonable um, cell service, although you don't even have to have cell service. You really just have to have, a, um, you know, ideally a, a phone with a, a camera on it. Uh, so you can take that, <clears throat> excuse me, you can take that picture uh, or that sound recording. Um, like I said, you can make your guess at what you think it is that you're looking at. And uh, whether you have your your phone's location services turned on or not, you can. It'll either kind of automatically um, put a little GPS pin in that observation that you just made, uh, or you can go back later and and you know drop a pin where you pretty sure you were standing. Maybe if you didn't have uh, cell service where you were when you uh, took that picture. And uh, and so you can kind of because that's the other really important part is is that, um, you know, if we can get uh, observations uh, from 
when people are kind of back in the deep woods or, or out at their cabins, that's really valuable data because it's, um, it's hard to get that kind of information. Otherwise, it's expensive to send people out there to do, uh, say, botanical surveys or, or wildlife surveys. Um, so if, if we can kind of make this a, a crowdsourced initiative, to collect information on what species are where uh, at, in all corners, you know, the far corners of, of the province, then it's, a, it's really valuable information for us because it's, it's just hard for, you know, the small uh, group of conservation professionals that uh, are in this province to, to get out to those kind of more distant uh, ports and, and areas and, and, you know, backwoods. What sort of a response has the Nature Conservancy seen to this program in, in years past? Have you seen many people taking part? Yeah, so we had um, over 6,500 participants uh, last year. Um, they uh, made over 36,000 observations across Canada. So, uh, again, that's a really valuable data collection effort. Um, I don't know if you could really... I don't know if we put a, a you know a dollar figure on on just how much that um, data collection effort would be worth if you were to kind of uh, you know uh, um, I guess pay for for people to go out and do that, uh, but I'm sure it would be quite you know I, I'm sure it's quite valuable. Um, I think there was one uh, observer in Nova Scotia that logged more than 800 species observations uh, over the weekend, so. You know, I don't know if that person slept over the weekend or not. They were just kind of going uh, the whole 48 or 72 hours. Incredible. Not just a great way to, uh, you know, get out and see the nature around you. But like you said, if, if you're go, go, go like that, it's a really great form of exercise as well. Uh, we're speaking with Piers Evans. He's the program director for Nature Conservancy, Newfoundland and Labrador. We're going to take a quick break on today's edition of On Target. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the data that would be collected through this program and how the Nature Conservancy uh, would use it. So we'll pick up this conversation uh, when we come back after this break. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And welcome back to On Target. I'm Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain, who is off for the next couple of weeks. And on today's program, we're speaking with Piers Evans. He's the program director for the Nature Conservancy, Newfoundland and Labrador. And today we're talking about their backyard bio blitz that they're going to be kicking off now in a couple of days. And we're learning a little bit about what that is and how it works. And uh, Mr. Evans, just before the break, uh, we were talking a bit about some of the data that's collected through this program. Uh, what exactly will the nat- how how does the Nature Conservancy use the data that will be, um, I guess, collected through this program, and what sort of gaps are you trying to fill in here? Mm-hmm. So, um, like I kind of mentioned before the break, you know, these these sorts of data, um, uh, you know, kind of understanding what species uh, are found where, um, even, you know given uh, what they're doing uh, at uh, certain times of the year. So you can kind of, you know, you can make observations through iNaturalist um, whenever you want throughout the year. And you can kind of, um, you know, through those photos that people take, you can tell uh, when certain things are coming into bloom and maybe how those things, how those uh, blooming periods are are changing or shifting 
um, over uh, over the years with, say, climate change or with certain meteorological conditions. You know, this year it's been really hot and dry. So how has that affected uh, what species are doing uh, when? Um, you know, that's maybe more for kind of a, you know, from a research or an academic perspective that you would look at that. But um, for our purposes, you know, some of the uh, most valuable um, uh, takeaways that we get from these data are um, particularly uh, around observations of, of rare species uh, or species at risk. So anything that's kind of federally or provincially listed as uh, either being threatened, um, rare or endangered. Um, these are species that, you know, we uh, prioritize for our work and that a lot of other groups kind of prioritize uh, for their conservation. Um, it's important to know kind of where they are um, occupying habitat. Uh, if, <laughs> excuse me, if that um, uh, habitat range is, say, shifting, like I said, with climate change, if it's kind of shifting further north or, or further um, uphill, you know, if they're kind of uh, going up, up the side of a, a slope uh, or a mountain, then maybe we need to kind of look at, okay, well, how do we protect uh, where that species is now and maybe where it will be uh, in the next kind of 50 or 100 years so that we can make sure that that species survives um, into the long term. Um, you know, we have uh, a lot of species um, that we observe <clears throat> for the first time ever in this province, right down in the Codroy Valley. Um, there was one even just earlier this summer, the uh, American oyster catcher, you know, the first observation made um, of that bird um, was uh, it was kind of perched uh, right offshore of uh, one of NCC's properties in the Codro Valley. Um, so these are the kinds of uh, species observations that, you know, they're really valuable and they might be an indicator of how climate change is indicating or, or changing how, uh, you know, species are, are occupying space in the world and, and where. Um, <clears throat> so um, when we have new observations of species you know that's really important but um, other observations like uh, rare or threatened or endangered species you know those are also really important for like if we have uh, observations of uh, an endangered species on property that's you know that we don't um, currently own but that might become available to us if there's a a landowner who you know is is keen to um, work with NCC for example to protect uh, habitat for say rare or endangered lichen species or plant species or things like that or important um, you know bird habitat you know then they might um, they might get in touch with us if they um, if they participate say in the big backyard bio blitz and they go into their backyard or out on their land and they uh, note that oh there's you know boreal felt lichen that's found here and um, you know, that's a, a, a an endangered species that um, is found almost nowhere else in the world. You know, the, the majority of the population of that species is here in Newfoundland. Um, so, you know, that's one of the species that we kind of strive to protect and, and prioritize in our work. So it's really important that we know, you know, where we can find it so that we know where we can protect it. And I just want to go back to something you mentioned there as well. You said that uh, earlier this year there was that, that uh, new species that uh, was found here in Newfoundland. How important is it for the Nature Conservancy to have that data, you know, when you can find a new species here? And how important is it for the Nature Conservancy to know that information? 
Well, it's really important, you know, especially when it happens uh, on one of our nature reserves. Um, you know, new species arriving on the island is um, you know, something that happens all the time, whether they're um, intentionally or unintentionally introduced or, or whether they just kind of arrive here on their own. I mean, there's um, lots of bird species kind of get blown up here um, and, and kind of arrive by accident when they're uh, sort of brought here by a strong uh, southwesterly gust. You know, we, we, we see that in the news often enough that, you know, some rare um, species has kind of gotten blown off course and, and wound up on our shores. And um, and then all, all the birders kind of, pardon the pun, but they flock to, you know, get their um, uh, get their picture of it and, and, and observe it. Um, and usually those things are, are kind of one-offs or, or they, they're not really permanent. Um, you know, uh, they're not going to become liviers here. Uh, but, you know, sometimes uh, this kind of thing happens naturally. You know, um, perhaps American oyster catchers are, with climate change, uh, expanding their range northward. You know, there's nothing to say that this one observation will indicate that, but um, but it does happen. You know, coyotes kind of uh, naturally uh, colonize the island uh, by coming over the ice from Labrador. Um, and so that's kind of a, a natural range expansion that sort of happens. And it's really important to kind of know how the ecology is changing because it changes the dynamic in those areas. Um, and especially when it's something, a new observation or a new species to the island that might be problematic, you know, green crab, certainly. Um, you know, this is not just a terrestrial um, uh, uh, activity that's kind of uh, data collection. If people are making observations of problematic species like green crab, uh, which are, are kind of wreaking havoc on our, our coastal uh, marine habitats, uh, you know, that's really valuable information for organizations like DFO uh, to track the spread of green crab around the island um, because they're, they're incredibly problematic species for you know, a number of other um, uh, species, you know, not the least of which would be Atlantic cod. You know, the, the green crab will go after the eelgrass, which is a nursery habitat for Atlantic cod. And so it's really important to kind of, uh, you know, note that those, you know, those species are, are spreading or if they're stationary or, uh, you know, and that might, you know, give uh, DFO an indication of whether or not certain management technique that they're employing in that area is being effective if if the the spread is being contained. So um, so there's a number of organizations that uh, that will use this um, this crowdsourced information. It really is um, you know there's a lot of organizations I think that recognize um, how valuable it is to have so many uh, say boots on the ground out there kind of um, doing this doing this work. And you know it's it's. Uh, sort of volunteer work, but it's also educational for the public. You know, they get to um, they get to you know really kind of explore their world a little bit more. And like I said, the community on iNaturalist um, and other apps like it are great for kind of uh, being uh, educational and, and supporting kind of learning about uh, you know what these species are and you know helping people learn a little bit more about uh, the plants and animals that they find. Uh, out there in the woods or in their backyards. 
And I do want to touch on the educational piece of this uh, a little bit more coming up now in a few minutes. Um, but first, um, just talking about, you know, some of the what people can find when they are, are looking for it in their backyards with this sort of stuff. Um, and there was a quote in the news release that the uh, NCC sent out that I thought that I highlighted specifically for the show. Um, it's a quote from you saying that our province is a big place and when we have some big unknowns about what species are found where and when and I thought that was really interesting it ties into what we've been talking about for the last about 20 minutes now on the show about what people could find here and I find it interesting because in this day and age we have such a an immediate access to just this this vast wealth of of information if we want to go looking for it and with so much technology at our fingertips and so much information at our fingertips it's it's almost easy to think that we we have all of our bases covered in terms of what we can and can't know about the environment that's around us but something interesting that that this sort of highlights is that there's just still so many unknowns yeah, that's that is very true, and and in some places it's more true than in others. You know, we have in our province, you know, we are a sparse population spread across a big place. You know, and and that has made for um, some data gaps that uh, are difficult to close. And, and so it's really nice uh, when we you know when we look at uh, species range maps. You know, that's not something that most people really bother to do, but it's something that, you know, people in, in, um, the ecology or biology or conservation fields, uh, do quite a lot because we want to make sure that when we protect an area, you know, we're, we're protecting an area that, um, uh, is ecologically significant, <laughs> excuse me. And, um, uh, and most of those um, species ranges, or, or a good part of that, is, you know, kind of, it might be inferred to a certain extent. You know, we, we kind of assume that, say, um, you know, uh, um, a certain bird species might be uh, found, uh, or, or tree species, you know, to use kind of an endangered species that we have here on the island, black ash. You know, we have range maps for black ash on the island that that we use that are you know maybe a little bit outdated compared to where they are actually found um and you know we make that assumption based uh on uh you know the soil characteristics or climatic characteristics of certain areas of the island but when we can update those range maps to include actual observations of this this tree black ash outside of you know these old range maps that may be a little bit outdated you know maybe they didn't account for a certain amount of climate change or uh or maybe they were um made making too many assumptions um then we can kind of update our understanding of how that species um you know uh, lives on our island and, and maybe importantly how we can protect it so that you know that that species can continue to flourish here um into the future um, so that's uh, that's where you know this kind of um, data collection effort. If people are out in the woods and they find, you know, a, a tree that they think looks like an ash, they can take a picture of it. Maybe it's not a black ash. Maybe it's a red elderberry, or maybe it's some other kind of um, kind of similar lookalike. Um, but even so, it's it's all good information, and maybe they will kind of uh, chance upon one of these rare um, trees. Um, 
and uh, and then that kind of improves our understanding. Uh, and you know us or or some of the other uh, conservation organizations or or government departments um, can take that observation and and maybe act on it um, to kind of protect um, you know that species or that population if there is one there. So that's where it's really um, really valuable because you know a lot of our understanding of the world is built on assumptions by necessity um, because it's just so much effort to go out and make. Um, those kind of uh, direct observations um, ourselves. But when we got so many hands uh, at the task, then it makes for the work to be a little bit lighter. We're speaking with Piers Evans on today's edition of On Target. He's the program director for the Nature Conservancy, Newfoundland and Labrador. We're going to continue this conversation right after this break. Uh, Don't go away. We'll be back in a flash. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And welcome back to On Target. Richard Duggan filling in today for Linda Swain. We're speaking with Piers Evans, who is the program director with the Nature Conservancy, Newfoundland and Labrador. And today we're talking about their backyard bio blitz and sort of some of the information that people can collect through that. And one of the things that we mentioned before the break was sort of how vast our province is and how, uh, you know, different species, you know, there's, there's so much that we really don't know. And it got me thinking, does a program like this highlight for the nature conservancy, really the difference, say on the Island of Newfoundland versus the sort of biodiversity that could be found in Labrador? Well, yeah, I mean, the, uh, um, the biodiversity in Newfoundland is something that's really interesting. The biodiversity of any island is really interesting because islands are, you know, there's special places where, um, you know, a certain amount of isolation on our island isn't all that um, far away from the mainland, really. I mean, we're only about, what is it, 15, 16, 17 kilometers from Labrador at the at the closest point. Um, so, you know, we're a, a a fairly big island is fairly close to um, the mainland, and so our, you know, our our, our sort of starting biodiversity uh, or the the sort of ecologies that are are found here, you know, are not so different from the mainland, um, you know, compared to some of the other islands that uh, you know, say, look at New Zealand, which is, you know, those two big islands that are very far away from the next nearest mainland. And so you had all kinds of interesting species evolve over time in that very isolated place. Um, whereas in Newfoundland, you know, hasn't been all that isolated. And so, you know, we had relatively similar, um, you know, uh, ecology to the mainland. I mean, it's a bit of a warmer ecosystem uh, than in Labrador. So we do have some species, you know, black ash, uh, red and white pine, uh, yellow birch, <clears throat> uh, that are a bit more common here than they are in Labrador. Um, but in Newfoundland, we've also had uh, a lot of additions, um, whether intentional, unintentional, or natural, uh, that have been made to our ecosystems. Um, you know, moose are kind of the, the famous example of, uh, of you know, an addition that, um, that really took off. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of others that people might not associate. You know, there's a lot of rodents 
that have been introduced. Um, you know, we have uh, amphibians that, you know, we have no uh, native amphibians. So all the frogs that you see uh, around the island, those have been introduced, um, you know, just recently. Uh, we've we've kind of heard stories about uh, a population of snakes that have you know kind of been established on the island's west coast. You know we don't have any native snakes on the island either. And um, even just this past summer or <laughs> past summer, uh, this current summer, um, uh, you know we had um, uh, researchers from uh, Mount Allison uh, doing research on some of our properties and in other areas of the province. Uh, looking at uh, salamanders um, that uh, have been found on the island. And, and certainly we've been hearing stories a lot about um, uh, turtles that have been uh, kind of let go uh, into ponds uh, in and around, uh, you know, St. John's and, and um, even down in Bowering Park, they found a couple. Um, so we, you know, for for an island ecosystem that started off, you know, with a, a relatively um, uh, few number of say mammal species. So those are the warm-blooded furry species. Um, you know we have at least as many, if not more, introduced mammal species on the island now than we kind of started out with um, after the last uh, that naturally arrived here after the last ice age. So there's um, <clears throat> there's quite an interesting mix, and, and you know Newfoundland's ecology is therefore you know, really in a bit of a state of flux with all these new additions and, and everything kind of finding its own equilibrium. And uh, and so it's quite interesting to see, you know, how all those introduced species are sort of changing things and, and changing their distribution on the island. Uh, Labrador, um, you know, by comparison, it's connected to the, the mainland, obviously. It's just part of the mainland. Um, it's got a very... <clears throat> I guess you could say, you know, it's, it's got uh, a very interesting mix of um, boreal uh, and kind of taiga uh, ecosystems. Um, it's uh, it's quite a northern uh, feeling place for its latitude. Um, and that's, you know, obviously on account of, of the Labrador current and, and the sort of cold water that comes down from the Arctic. But you do find a lot of, um, you know, much more Arctic species there. Um and then in the southern and, and western parts of Labrador, you, you get, you know, very boreal um, compositions and ecologies. So it's, it really is, a, 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 um, you know, between the two parts of the province, it's, it's quite an interesting place. And that's another thing that, you know, I should really kind of uh, highlight to kind of encourage people to get out and learn more about these things. You know, are the species that you're you're looking at around you, are they native to Newfoundland and Labrador? Are they introduced? And if they're introduced, are they, you know, are they just exotic species that, you know, aren't normally found here, but aren't really making too big of a, you know, a fuss in the, in the local ecosystem, or would they be considered invasive? Like, um, you know, <clears throat> Japanese knotweed is, is, a you know, an example that most people uh, in any kind of urban area are familiar with. And that's, a, you know, uh, an introduced species that can become quite invasive and can really kind of throw off the balance of uh, ecosystems if, if they kind of are able to sort of run rampant uh, and, and spread and spread and spread. Um, so, you know, these are the sorts of things that we're really kind of encouraging people to kind of get out and explore and learn more about. 
and you just led right into the the next point that I, that I wanted to make when you are out and you observe um, a, a new species, a species that's been introduced to the province. Does, especially when you when you're seeing it for some of the first times, does that sort of throw up some red flags for the Nature Conservancy in terms of, okay, how how is this gonna? Could this potentially throw off the ecosystem? What what does that do from from your perspective? Yeah, so that's definitely a consideration that we make uh, if you know if we're looking at. Um, you know, say a property that we're going to acquire or an area that we're going to, uh, you know, kind of work to help to protect in some way, um, whether that's through, you know, direct acquisition by ourselves or, or some other mechanism like a protected area or an OECM or an IPCA or that sort of thing. Um, we we definitely want to make sure that the, the area that we're protecting is you know, it has to be ecologically significant. You know, we're a small organization and we have limited resources, so we can't be um, kind of getting involved with every single conservation, um, uh, um, it, you know, initiative uh, that's that's ongoing, unfortunately. But um, we also have to kind of make sure that it's going to be sustainably ecologically significant. So if we have, um, you know, areas that, are kind of you know plagued by an invasive species uh, and it's it's really wreaking havoc on that ecosystem or it's um, it's really going to be, we, we kind of we can easily foresee that you know maybe this ecologically significant area is is going to um, change in a way that will make it simpler because that's usually what invasive species do is they kind of simplify or sort of flatten the uh, the ecology of an area, uh, and we don't have the resources to um, to change that or, or restore it or kind of remediate uh, that uh, invasive species out of there. Um, then you know we kind of have to um, we have to harbor our resources and, and put our efforts where we can be most effective. So, um, but in other cases, you know, we take that as as a bit of a challenge. If it does, if it looks like an area that you know can still be remediated or, or kind of restored back to um, the ecology that it once was, um, if we can kind of work to pull that back from the brink, then we can, you know, we can uh, we can certainly pull on partnerships to help us with that. You know, that's something that uh, that we do quite a lot of. Uh, and then we also work ourselves at, um, say, removing or, or managing that uh, invasive species to make sure that um, the kind of ecological trajectory of that area doesn't go in a really negative direction. Once again, we're speaking with Piers Evans. He's the program director for Nature Conservancy, Newfoundland and Labrador. We have to take our final break of the day, but we'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And welcome back to the program. Uh, You're listening to On Target here on VOCM. I'm Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain today, and we're speaking with Piers Evans, program director, Nature Conservancy, Newfoundland and Labrador, and uh, in talking about this backyard bio blitz that we've been discussing, um, you know, one of the main things I think for the Nature Conservancy would be the educational aspect uh, for people um, to get out and sort of explore their... um, 
explore the province and and see what's really out there in in i guess getting feedback from this program over the last couple of years that you've been doing it do you find that people are surprised by what they're finding oh i think so you know i haven't heard too many um kind of direct quotes from from people in our province but um you know i think the um uh, you know the the sort of um colloquial uh, names that we have for um, some species might um, might be one way to kind of look at this. You know, we have um, trees and shrubs that are kind of known as junipers, right? And, um, and we have a great, you know, many trees that might, you know, all be considered pine or spruce. Um, but it's actually, if you look a little bit closer, um, you will learn that there are differences uh, between those trees that you're looking at. They might all look pretty similar or, or much the same, but, you know, there's actually a few different species that you're looking at there. Um, and, uh, you know, that might not be a, a distinction that is important for some, but I think a lot of people might kind of find it enriching uh, to realize that, like, well, it's actually it's actually a lot more complexity, you know, to uh, the world around us than maybe we're kind of uh you know, we had thought about before. Uh, and so that's really what we're kind of encouraging is just taking that closer look and taking it a pause to, you know, gain a better understanding. I mean, even, you know, looking beyond plants, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a tree guy. So that's why my default is always to go to trees and plants, but, you know, certainly, um, you know, all the birders out there are probably kind of screaming into the radio now and talk about birds and all the bird diversity that we have here. And it's, true we have you know incredible diversity of shorebirds and seabirds uh, and even you know kind of um, uh, waterfowl and forest um, uh, birds you know we have uh, a really uh, a really stellar um, uh, birding community here um, we get great uh, great information great data collection uh, by kind of committed you know birders that we have across the island um, they uh, they too use iNaturalists and, and eBird and apps like that to to kind of log their observations, uh, and that's you know that's really great information. And and you know birding is one of those activities around the world that is you know really becoming more popular because it's um, you know people just enjoy it. It's it's relatively easy to get into. It's a way to spend time out in nature. It's you know relatively calming. Uh, and, you know, birds are, are species that or are, you know, it's a group of species, obviously, <laughs> excuse me, um, that um, <laughs> people seem to kind of be able to relate to. You know, people find birds quirky and chatty and very, they're very social that are, you know, that are, it's like, uh, which is like uh, um, uh, humans. Um, so, you know, maybe people kind of find some sort of similarities to um uh, to, you know, many bird species that they observe. Um, and, you know, often when you catch them in, um, you know, breeding plumage, uh, they're quite stunning and beautiful. Uh, so uh, there's certainly kind of that sort of um, aesthetic or, or artistic quality um, in, in um, uh, birding that uh, I think a lot of people uh, enjoy. Um, and so that's... Um, you know, that educational component, the the calming and, and you know, the aesthetic beauty of of really observing nature closely. Um, I think it all kind of contributes as well to, you know, uh, people's mental health and, and, and taking a moment to sort of slow down. Summer can be, 
you know, so busy. People are kind of um, go, 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 trying to get the most out of their summer. So, you know, maybe taking a few minutes or a few hours out of your long weekend or, or a weekend in the summer to kind of slow down and, and really kind of look closely at nature and, you know, become in tune with your own backyard. Um you know, that could be really calming and, and really beneficial for people's, uh, uh, you know, people, people's mental and emotional health as well. Piers Evans, we're running right up against the clock now. We only got a couple minutes left here on the program. So just one more time, give us the details uh, for anyone that wants to get involved with this Backyard BioBlitz or even just learn more about the Nature Conservancy in general. Uh, give us the details. How can they get involved? What, what do they have to do? So this is NCC's, the Nature Conservancy Canada's third annual Big Backyard BioBlitz. It runs from July 28th to August 1st, uh, and you can learn more about how to participate at natureconservancy.ca forward slash BBB for Big Backyard BioBlitz. Excellent, Piers Evans. Thank you so much for joining the program today. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. And again, that was Piers Evans, Program Director for Nature Conservancy, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. We're all out of time for today's edition of the show, but tune in again tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more interesting topics uh, up for discussion on On Target. Thank you so much and have a great day.